0: We have been, it feels like, with Angelo from the very beginning, so to speak, when he went off to India, and then when he was back, wondering what he was going to do, and then end up coming down here with many of you, and so we feel like uh, we're at home in a way that we've never been here before or met many of you before, though some of you I have. It feels like we're at home or at our church, so to speak, because we, we pray for you all uh, once a month. We have a rotation on Sundays, we're praying for different missionaries, and when Angelo was in India, and then he transitioned, and now down here this church plant, we've been praying for all of you, and so you are near to dear to, dear to us, even if we had not met before. Now, what you don't know is how I met Angelo, and I'm so glad he hasn't shared that, because I get to tell a story. I'm guessing it was 2002-ish, we do a lot of issues especially up in NorCal, at least like our church starts at (laughs) 1030-ish. I'm from the East Coast, so I thought things were supposed to start on time, but apparently not. We do a lot of issues. I think it was around 2002-ish. There was a conference up at a lake near where we live, and it was on elders, biblical eldership. Alexander Strauch was a speaker, and CBC Vallejo was a part of sponsoring that, putting that on. Somehow I got a flyer. I was all over it, so I took some guys, and only one man from my church was going to stay the night with me. The other guys went home, so uh, we went to that conference, and uh, actually, I think we missed the first night, so we got there on the second day of it. We were going to stay that night. We finally got to our room the first night that we're there, my one brother from church, John and I, and we walk into our room, and there's some guy in the bed and that guy was Angelo. <laughs> he was flustered. We were flustered, but hit it off. We were so thankful that he was in our room because that gave us a little bit of a connection to those putting on the conference, and then it was Angelo. Um, I, I don't have to make this up or embellish anything. You all know Angelo. What's, what's not to like even back then when he was struggling with and maybe even a little discouraged, though I don't know what that looks like on Angelo, about wanting to be in the ministry, but leadership at CBC Vallejo was telling him, not yet, not yet. I told him, brother, you are so blessed to have leadership around you, knowing you and telling you, not yet, and you get to be involved in that church, so, so be patient. I, I can't remember, I, I don't think he was married then. I get my years mixed up, so I'm not sure he was even married then. He's a young guy. But just as joyful and confident in the Lord back then as he is every time I see him or talk to him, and the last time I saw him face-to-face with at the Shepherd's Conference. And he said, yeah, I'm going on vacation. Oh, you should come preach for us. Oh, yeah, ha, 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 right. How's it? Well, here I am. Um, but uh, there's no sacrifice involved. Let me just be upfront in that. I feel very at home at the beach. Grew up at the beach on the other coast, which meant... Summer was awesome, and winter was painful. It was just brutal. New Jersey winters are brutal. I remember paddling through waves, and the only thing showing was my face, and it would hurt. But I was young. I I couldn't do it now. So, uh, yeah, so Angelo didn't take much talking into, talked us uh, into coming down here, and it is a joy and a privilege to be among you this morning, Uh, just personally as a Christian, just to worship with you. I need that which leads me into what I want to preach this morning. Noises don't bother me, by the way. Kids crying, you drop stuff. I'll just get louder, so don't worry about it. But I want to talk about what we need this morning. I don't know what it is for you, whether it's maybe cars or houses or clothing or Lego buildings or video games or doll dresses. I have no idea what it is, but there's probably something in life that, that you relate to that you like, and you look at it and go, that is really nice, or that is cool, and, but it just needs this. My wife and I are driving around, and we see these cute little bungalows, and then we see these other houses, and we're like, ooh, you know, or we'll see this house, and we're like, man, that just needs to be a different color, and it would be so cute. My wife's words, and I agree. I like cars, motorcycles, I look at cars, especially older cars, but I'll do it with newer cars, it doesn't matter. I'll look at it and go, oh man, if they would have just changed the lines on that or that just needs a little spoiler or oh man, I like that classic car, I'm not sure about those rims. You know, It just needs, I just go there. My mind goes there and I bet your mind goes there on something. And it probably goes there about church too. There's probably been a morning or two, maybe three or four, where you've shown up here and go, boy, this church just needs, and you filled something in. You know, a room to meet in where we didn't have to set up every week. Which, by the way, there's a blessing in that. You've got community going on already at 9.30 in the morning. I show up at 9.30-ish. People show up at 10.20-ish. Because everything is in place. That's a side story. But maybe you thought that. We just need a, we just need a room to meet in where we don't have to set everything up, take everything down. Or we just, we just need a better coffee bar. You know, I went to one church and they had this espresso machine. Or a kids program or something during the week. We just need fill in the blank. You, you've gone there in your mind. With this church or other church, it's sort of natural. Now, some of the things you've thought of may be good things. They may be very good things. They could actually be a blessing and a benefit even. I like coffee so i'll I'll take a cappuccino thank you but they're not needs what do we really need what does the church need now don't do a search on books on what the church needs because you'll be inundated this is how many years after solomon wrote of the writing of books there is no end as a pastor, I get materials sent to me all the time. Ch- church growth, this and this, that, and your church needs this and need that. And if we took a poll in here this morning, what does this church need? We'd have hundreds of ideas. But if we're a church, if we're the children of God, if we're Christians, then we want to go to the author and perfecter of our faith, the author of life, we want to go to the authority, we want to go to God's word. And Peter, the apostle, tells us exactly what the church of every age and every location needs. It's true for our brothers and sisters in Sudan, North Korea, China, Afghanistan. No matter where, no matter when, Peter made it very clear what the church needs. And this is Peter Peter the apostle, the one who lived with Jesus for three years, the one who walked on water and then sank, the one who pulled out a sword and cut off someone's ear when they were coming to arrest Jesus, the one who denied Jesus three times the night of his arrest, but then was reinstated by Jesus, three times being asked, do you love me? The first man To preach Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It's that Peter, born a fisherman, raised a fisherman, but then lived with Christ. And he has something to say about what we need. And it's this we need to be reminded. That's what we need. It's that simple and yet it's more essential than the air we breathe or the water we drink. We need to be reminded. As we turn to 2 Peter this morning, I want to establish that that is indeed what he says we need. 2 Peter chapter 1, 12 to 15 will be our focus, but I'm going to refer to many passages in 2 Peter and even 1 Peter. I won't make you flip there all the time, but that's where I'm coming from. A one-off sermon is difficult because I like to be grounded in the word, and so I'm going to be referring to first and Second Peter the whole time. You double check everything I say, because it comes down to what does God have to say. And through Peter, God said to the church, "You need to be reminded. I want to establish that. Who needs to be reminded? What? We need to be reminded of? Why? We need to be reminded. And how? How do we get reminded? First, the establishing of this, just so that you don't think it's my idea. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities or these things in the NAS. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And if you look If you glance at chapter three, verse one, he says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So not only is second Peter a reminder, but first Peter was a reminder. How's that for having someone who doesn't say anything new? Peter doesn't say anything new. He doesn't profess to say anything new. In essence, he's saying you don't need anything new. You need to be reminded again and again and again. It's clearly why he wrote 2 Peter, the word remind is repeated and repeated. He says that's why he wrote 1 Peter. Though there's a little different different direction in each of the letters, In 1 Peter, he's more concerned about encouraging them about the salvation that they have, that they would not give up in the midst of trials and persecution. In 2 Peter, it's that they would not be led astray by false teachers and stop living for Christ. But in both, he's reminding them of what they already know. I'm sure it's happened more than a million times that someone's walked out from hearing a sermon preached and they said he didn't say anything new. Praise God for that. The preacher's got something new. You're either not a Christian or a brand new Christian. The preacher shouldn't have anything new. Explained, expounded, explored, and applied a little different way than last week or last month. Nothing new. Peter the Apostle wrote to remind those whom he cared for and who he was involved in shepherding. Who needs to be reminded? Well, verse 12 tells us, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Of course, in the word remind or reminded, it's implicit or it's implied that the person already knows. But it, he makes it very clear that they already know it. Not only do they know it, they are established in it. So they're not even new Christians. They've had time to be established in the truth that they have. You know, from verse one, two, he greets them as Christians. He makes it very clear. Simon Peter, a servant, and apostle of Jesus Christ. This is one one to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So he's writing to Christians, well seasoned Christians, who have been through trials. They've been around for a while. They've heard it. They. Need to be reminded of it though. So, the who is Christians. Non Christians don't, don't need to be reminded. If you're here this morning and your faith isn't in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, you need to be reminded of that. You need to hear that. You need to believe that. That all who believe in him receive forgiveness of their sins. I'm preaching through Acts. Angelo told me, hands off Acts because he's going there next. Thanks, Angelo. So much for a repeat message. No problem. And Peter does a lot of speaking in Acts. He's the first to preach in the day of Pentecost to Jews, the first to preach officially to Gentiles in Cornelius' household. And he tells those non-Jews that all who believe in Jesus receive forgiveness of their sin. They needed to hear that, not be reminded about it. Christians... Those who already know, those who already believe need to be reminded. If you don't believe, you need to believe, not be reminded. So this is for you who are Christians. What Peter is writing is for you who are believers, even well-established in the truth believers, seasoned in the Christian life. It's for the church. What? What? do Christians need to be reminded of? Well, in that very first verse, Peter packs a punch, or it's pregnant with meaning, as some would say. What does he bring up? The first thing he brings up is, those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first thing that Christians need to be reminded of is the salvation that is theirs through the work of Christ. What Christ accomplished, what what Christ brought about and sealed for the Christian. He doesn't say that much about that in 2 Peter, but remember, chapter 3, he says, the first letter I wrote was a reminder also. This is what he says at the very beginning of 1 Peter. You can join me there or listen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So after the intro, he dives in. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He goes on, the topic, the issue at hand there is salvation. Verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, he speaks more of this, or I should say, writes more about salvation in his first letter, In his second letter, however, he can't get through the introduction without reminding the Christians of the salvation that is theirs. They have the same salvation, Peter says in 1-1 of 2 Peter, of equal standing with ours. Who's the ours? Peter, the apostles. The relationship the Christian has with God through faith in Christ is the same that the apostles had. Peter reminds them of that one sentence in this letter. Spends a lot more ink on it in the first letter he wrote to them, reminding them of what they already knew. So, the first thing that Christians need to be reminded is of the salvation that is theirs. Bought with the blood of Christ, as it says in 1 Peter, of the precious, spotless Lamb of God, not with gold or silver. Jesus Christ obtained it for us. We need to be reminded of that. He obtained it for us. He bought us. We're no longer ours, we're His. And as He said there in 1 Peter chapter 1, the inheritance we have, you can't affect it negatively one bit. It won't rust, it won't rot, it won't decay. Can never be blemished, tarnished, or anything. And not even you, because you are being kept. We need to know that. We need to be reminded of that. Week after week. Interestingly, the second thing he goes on to talk about in 2 Peter, he spends more time on this in 2 Peter than he does in 1 Peter, is living it the Christian life. Life by the Spirit. Christ lived out in our life. The big word would be sanctification. That's what he hits right away in 2 Peter, starting in verse three. And yet, what does he say? Now, get up and live it. No, he reminds the Christians of the power that is at work in them. First Peter, 2 Peter chapter one, verse three. His divine power, reference back to God Jesus, our Lord, in verse two, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become, this is amazing, you may become partakers of a divine nature. You share in the divine nature. There's a lot of people walking around today that says, there's a spark of God in us. We're spiritual. I have a neighbor who thinks that everyone's a God. It's it's close to the truth, but wrong. The Christian has God dwelling in him, in her. Recently, one of my kids said, So, like the temple was where God dwelled, now the Christian is a temple? Absolutely. God dwells in each and every Christian, giving, equipping, strengthening, and empowering every single Christian to live Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells in us as i was out surfing yesterday the second session i was near the pier and i was like oh that's what's going on because now i'm near the pier there's a contest going on surf competition i grew up surfing contests on the east coast when i think of a surf competition i can't help but think of kelly slater why because he's about my age but he could surf circles around me because he does it all the time. He does it for a living. Oh, to just be given his ability whenever I have the chance to go surfing instead of feeling rusty. You have something like that in life, something you wish you could do, some some hobby, some sport, some skill. Whenever I see people playing guitar, I go, yeah, I wish. I play, but it's badly. You know, you wish it could just be given to you. The Christian's been given. All things that pertain to life and godliness. You have it. The Spirit of God dwells in you if your faith is in Christ. So he reminds Christians again and again of this salvation that is theirs that is brought to them through the work of Christ, not their work, not their worth, but Christ's work. And the second thing he reminds them, specifically here in 2 Peter, is of the Christian life. What the Christian is now called to is to live Christ, and yet not in their own power, not their own ability, but the power and the ability of God that is in them, at work in them, so that they share in the very nature of God. Can't help but get a, you can't help but refer to Star Wars, right? Because you can't get away from Star Wars. Everywhere you turn, there's Star Wars. We ate at Killer Pizza from Mars the other night because it's near where we're staying, near Angelo's place, and it's full of Star Wars stuff. I remember as a kid watching Star Wars. VHS tape. Don't know what that is. Don't worry about it. At my friend's house. No, I think it was on HBO. Either way, we watched it. You know, and after that, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to move things. Try to move things, that power. Again, there's there's a glimpse of truth in what's going on there in Star Wars. There is evil and there is good. There is darkness, there is light. There's the Father of lights, the one who dwells in unapproachable light. And it's his spirit that dwells in the Christian. We need to remember that. We need to be reminded of that. Peter sought to remind the Christians of that. And the third thing of three things that that Peter reminds Christians about that we need to be reminded about comes up in chapters two and chapter three. Again and again, he says in verse one of chapter two, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Verse four, he says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains, there's a little if statement there. And he goes on speaking about those who are false teachers. You pick up in chapter three, it's a short letter. Peter didn't have chapter breaks. In chapter 3, he's still on the same issue. Again, he says to them in verse 1, he's reminding them, just like in the first letter. And he says in verse 2, that you should remember, so 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, verse 4, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? So the third and last thing that he reminds them about are end things, end time things, eschatology, last things, the ultimate end. Jesus is coming back. He reminds them of that. Jesus is coming back. And some are saying, oh, well, he hasn't come yet. How much more can we say today, right? It's 2017. It is, right? Yeah, 2017. He's not coming back. It's all good. Yeah, he's real. He died on the cross, but it's all good. Love wins. It covers everything. Everyone's saved. There's no judgment. No one will give account. Huh. He reminds them. Jesus is coming back. He says in verse 10 of chapter three, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There is an end coming. We tend to shy away from that kind of talk because, at least for me, it evokes images of a very interesting looking fellow standing on a street corner with a sign hanging on him. And by the looks of him, you wouldn't trust him to give you directions let alone be right about the fact that the world's going to come to an end at some point. But in that statement, he's, he's right. It's true. It will come to an end. You know, the younger we are, the less likely we are to believe that. Just like the younger we are, the less likely we are to think that we're never going to die. Don't worry about that, don't think about that. And yet, it will happen. So too will Jesus Christ return to judge the living and the dead. What's interesting in the book of Acts, look for this as you, as you all go through it together. When there's quote-unquote evangelism, when Jesus is proclaimed, so is the fact that he is the judge. What does Peter say to those non-Jews in Cornelius' household? That Jesus is the judge. And all who believe in him receive forgiveness of their sins. What does Paul say when he is in Athens and he gets a chance to speak to those who render their judgment on religious ideas and philosophical ideas? He tells them that God has appointed a judge. And we know who he is because God raised him from the dead. Three simple truths that Peter repeats himself about again and again and again. Being made right with God, being forgiven of your sins and reconciled to your maker, the creator of heaven and earth, has been brought about through his son, Jesus. Fully God, fully man. Salvation is absolutely possible. And if you're a Christian, it's yours through faith in Christ. And the salvation you have, that relationship with God and all that it brings now and when we see him face to face cannot be taken from us. He reminds the Christians and so reminds us of that first and foremost. And second is that we're to live in light of that and we're also to live by the power that is ours or at work in us through the work that Christ accomplished. So we're to live life in light of the past, what Christ has accomplished, as well as with a view to Christ coming back. Probably heard of that book, Everything I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Everything you need to know as a Christian is right there. Can you know more? Absolutely. Can you grow deeper? Absolutely. He writes two letters, which would have cost a few hundred dollars to write one letter and get it delivered. And what does he choose to spill his precious ink on? No computers, no no tablets, no phones. He didn't just text away. What does he choose to spill his precious ink on? Those basic teachings, those basic doctrines in Scripture. And he writes that to those who already know the truth and are established in it. That's what we need to be reminded about again and again first letter second letter sunday after sunday that's simple why why do we need to be reminded of those three basic teachings why did those christians who were established in the truth need to be reminded well the first one's a no-brainer right what does remind mean bring to mind stir up in your thinking Brought to the forefront versus the back of your mind where you can't remember. You need to be reminded because you forget. Oh, how quickly we forget. High school, I barely passed calculus, or it was pre calculus, but I excelled in geometry. I think because it's physical and visible, the angles and the objects. Well, now we homeschool. And my kids come to me with geometry questions, and I go, I have no idea. I have no idea. It took me all the way through high school, college, and then seminary. I literally am a slow learner. Seminary, to realize just because I'm looking at something and I know it doesn't mean I'm going to remember it on the test, even if it's the next day. I finally, in seminary, started using flashcards, learning Greek and Hebrew. It didn't work just reading the chapter and looking at it. It also didn't work because unlike college, C was not a choice. I went to a large college, so I often just chose C on my multiple choice exams. When in doubt, choose C. Make patterns. You'll probably get some right. Well, Greek and Hebrew exams in seminary were not multiple choice. So in order to remember Greek and Hebrew, I had to bring it to mind every day. And even now, Right now, I'm going through Acts. I'm not in the Hebrew so much. I was preaching through Isaiah. I'll go back to reading Hebrew, and it takes me like a couple of weeks to get back into it. We forget. We forget. We even forget the most important and precious truths in life. We can. The moment you think that you can't, that's where you're in the greatest danger. Because there is a danger in forgetting. There is a great danger in forgetting. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, referring to the qualities he just talked about, that we are to work towards by the power of God at work in us. He says in verse 8, chapter one, Second 2 Peter, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if they're not yours, then you are ineffective and unfruitful. And if they're not yours, it's because you're not remembering, you're not bringing to mind, you're not stirring up in your head what he just wrote to them. So if you don't remember, you will be ineffective and unfruitful. He goes on to say in verse nine, for whoever lacks these qualities is short-sighted, excuse me, is so short-sighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You say, oh, I I could never forget that. Oh, yes, you can. And you do. Every time you blow it, every time you do exactly what you know is contrary to the Lord, or don't do what you know he wanted to do, and you think, Oh, man, that's it now, that's now, now it's gonna, oh, I gotta, I, you don't gotta anything except confess your sin because Christ has already paid for it. It's not gonna take you weeks of being in the Bible and going to church regularly every Sunday to all of a sudden kind of recover something because you blew it. You remember, Christ has paid for every single one of your sins. You confess it and he is faithful and just to forgive you. We default towards that kind of work, earn forgiveness or earn the reconciliation. No, it's been accomplished. We forget it. We're short-sighted. You only see what's in front of you. You forget what's a little further away, right? Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If you Do not stir up these thoughts in your mind. If you're not reminded of the salvation brought about by Christ, the Christian life that you are to live by the power of Christ at work in you, and that He is, in fact, coming back, and everyone, everywhere will answer to Him. You'll forget even that your sins have been forgiven. And you'll buy into false teaching. That's a big emphasis in 2 Peter, starting in chapter 2. Most of 2 Peter is on that issue. You'll buy into not completely contrary teaching. That's not how false teaching works. False teaching is just off a little bit, off just enough. You've probably heard the analogy two lines, they look parallel. If they're close enough together and short enough, even though they're not parallel, they look parallel. But if you keep drawing those lines out, you'll find out they're not parallel. They diverge or they converge. They go further away from each other or they cross each other. Things are just a little bit off. You still don't get to where you're supposed to be going. Just Take one wrong street. You may be just a stone's throw from where you're supposed to end up, but if you went the wrong way, you're not there false teaching, and the false teaching that they were dealing with, that we're just as likely to buy into, is this issue of Jesus coming back. Oh, maybe you won't say, no, he's not coming back. But it's not on your mind, and you're not living like he's coming back. Verse 11 in chapter 3, after talking about these false teachers and they say, oh, he's not coming. Where is his coming? He reminds them that God's actually being patient. But then he speaks about, as I read the passage earlier, 3.10, what's gonna happen in the end and the world as we know it will be transformed. He says in verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? in lives of holiness and godliness. Remembering that Jesus is coming back to judge, to bring about the new heavens and the new earth, and to bring those of us who are ours into his presence if we're alive when that happens. That is our motivation for living today like it's already that day. Who has trouble on long car rides? I I do, actually. (laughs) What helps? Knowing your destination. We left our house in Santa Rosa at basically 7 a.m. on Thursday, and we arrived at Angelo's house at 6 We only stopped twice, I was impressed, my family's awesome. We only stopped twice. We packed lunch, it was gas and potty break, gas and potty break, of course the potty break was at Starbucks, that took just a little while. The issue was we got over the grapevine on the five, got up the grapevine, I wanted to get through L.A. before three o'clock, we came to a halt. Came to a halt. There was an accident. It wasn't rush hour, there was an accident. And this car ride just got longer. For me, though, SoCal's waiting. <laughs> it's all good, right? The destination. We got through that accident, there was another one. Right? We prayed for the people that they were physically okay, because that's a greater bummer f- for them than us. But it just made the long car ride longer. As we got closer, it's rush hour. The five is crawling. We finally get off the five. We know we're a few miles from our destination, at least according to the GPS thing we're following. And we're on, I think, what's it called, 76? 76. 76 is crawling. It's 530. But I know, Lord willing, Sooner or later, if the truck breaks down, whatever, sooner or later, by taxi, by whatever, we're, we're going to arrive at a place to stay. Sooner or later, Jesus will return. And the degree to which that is on our mind, we are motivated to value things, to view things, to have a perspective that's actually keeping in keeping with reality. I have to literally tell myself multiple times a week, I will not see my Savior face to face and go, I wish I would have served more. I I, I literally, you laugh, I have to fight that battle. I remember asking a bunch of high schoolers one time, would you want Jesus to come back tomorrow? And some of them were honest, and one of them said, no, I got a concert I'm going to next week. We laugh at them. But you've got something like that. Something you want to do or you want to do more of, but more than meet your Savior. And whether you want to meet your Savior or not, He is coming back. And you say, boy, He's taking a long time. Yeah, because He's patient. This is His patience that others who are in Jesus' fold could be brought in, but he is coming back. We need to remember that, that we would live today like it's that day. We need to be reminded because we forget. And if we forget, we're in danger of even forgetting that we're, that we're saved. Maybe we're not. We lose assurance. Peter tells them, Verse 10 of chapter one, as you get close to the passage that we were focusing on, which I have been all, all over the place in Second Peter. he says, "Therefore brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. If you practice these qualities, you will never, never fall. That's mean you won't be sinless and perfect. But what's the point here? The point here is, when you have these truths on your mind and you live in such a way, what comes along with that? Assurance. Assurance. That God is who he says he is. That you are his. That his spirit dwells in you. That your life is not what it would be apart from Christ. That your savior's coming back. That the judge of the living and the dead is coming back. Whenever I meet or talk to a Christian who says, I just don't feel like I know that God loves me. So how are you living your life? How are you living your life? What? Give me a day in your life. What's it like? You know what I'm going to look for? Where, Where is the living for Christ in light of who he is and what he's done for you? Regardless of how you feel, how things are going. See, as that happens, your your election, your calling is more sure to you. You have assurance it all starts with though being reminded of those basic truths how do we get reminded of them well that's kind of a no-brainer isn't it yet is it how how do we do that now back to the passage that is supposedly our focus passage for this morning 12 13 14 15 he made it very clear that he's writing to remind them chapter 3 he made it very clear that he wrote his first letter to remind them and notice the eyes verse 12 I intend always to remind you, verse 13, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. Verse 15, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall at any time, excuse, excuse me, you may be able at any time to recall these things. You know what Peter says in First Peter chapter 5? Verse one, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What is Peter doing when he writes? He is shepherding. You need, I need, we need elders, shepherds to remind us. Peter needs to be reminded Paul had to rebuke Peter at one point in life. Read Galatians. He rebuked Peter. Peter was living as if Jesus didn't now bring about salvation for all, Jew and Gentile alike. Peter had to be reminded. But God has designed it so that shepherds remind the people, the Christians, the sheep, the church, week in and week out. This letter would have been received and then read on the Lord's day. That's what this church needs. That's what I need. I'm thankful to be here, not only because I'm thankful for the opportunity and privilege to preach, but I'm thankful to be with like-minded believers worshiping with songs that have content that's true. And Lord willing, we'll be here next Sunday sitting and listening. When we go on vacation, we find a hard time finding churches, especially when I go back east to visit family. I tried one one time. I look online and go, you know, I'm not even going to go there. But when I'm there for a couple of weeks, I'm lacking the being reminded that I need. And the first, number one, primary way that Christians are to be reminded is through shepherds, through elders, through preaching God's word, not man's word, not man's ideas, on Sunday, again and again, week after week. Passage that was read earlier, talking about membership from Hebrews. Do not forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but spur one another on. It comes secondarily from each other. So much is made about music and singing these days. How much is written in the New Testament about songs and music and singing? Very, 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 enough varies? Very, 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 very little. Ephesians. Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to one another. Why? To remind one another. You could be under a tree. We could be under a tree right now, spend two months in Haiti, meet in all kinds of places. It doesn't matter where we meet. We don't need coffee. We don't need a potluck after. We don't need air conditioning. We don't need more instruments, less instruments. Longer preacher, shorter preacher, we need to be reminded. That's what the church needs. There are other things, they may be a good thing. They may be a blessing. But the worst would be, or the the worst case scenario would be to have those things. A building that's ours, that's yours, you know what I mean, a place to meet, it's there, it's paid for. Even the bills are paid for. And the air conditioner works and the sound system is perfect and the acoustics are awesome. And there's a children's room and a this room and an elderly room and a coffee room and a tea room. Oh, that's all there. But then you get man's ideas and thinking, man's musings. You get something new and interesting every week. It's the last thing you need. We don't need anything new we need the same truth again and again and again. We need to be reminded, and we need to remember as if our life depends upon it, because it does. Join me in prayer. Father, I am of the first to look at things and think of what's needed, what could be different, what could be better. And miss what is essential. Father, when it comes to your church, you know what your church needs. You know what we need. You know what we need this morning and every morning. And as often as we can get it, we need to know, to believe, we need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. Of your work In us, through your spirit, that Christ is coming back. That we would live lives that are effective. That we would live lives that reflect your goodness, your kindness, and your grace. Father, we are apt to forget. We are prone to wander. We can become short-sighted, blind, forgetting what Christ has done. We can be led astray. By subtle teaching that is in error. Father, we are needy unlike you. You are God alone. There is no other. You need nothing from man, but we are needy. Thank you for your provisions. Thank you for your word, for these precious promises that we have, for your spirit dwelling in us. Thank you that you have provided leadership for this church. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. May what he has accomplished and brought about be on our minds continually. May we even dream about Jesus. And may you be pleased by the meditation of our hearts and the words of our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.